The Trumpet Daily program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily program begins right now. We have received information about this horrific tragedy. Uh, it has moved everyone in the Congress, as you might imagine. Our hearts go out to all those involved, the families, of course, and the victims. And we're so grateful for law enforcement. We trust and hope and pray that we're able to apprehend this individual as quickly as possible. There's no more injury or loss of life. This is a, this is a dark time in America. We have a, a, a lot of problems, and we're really, really hopeful and prayerful. Prayer is appropriate in a time like this, that the evil can end and this senseless violence can stop. There's your, uh, there's your uh, new House Speaker, uh, Mike Johnson, I think is his name. He's got the most common name, and I always forget it, but there he is, talking about this uh, horrific tragedy in, uh, in Maine, uh, a mass shooting. Maine, of all places, <laughs> I think they have something like 29 homicides per year. And uh, this, just in one evening, at a bowling alley and some other store, 22 people and, and many more injured. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. If you'd like to watch us every day, you can get to the live video stream of this show at TrumpetDaily.com or at our uh, Rumble channel. That would be uh, rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily. Every weekday morning at 11 a.m. You can, of course, watch the show on demand as well. We'll get to the new House Speaker here in just uh, just a moment. But first, just a few comments on this horrific tragedy. Yet another one. If you think about, I mean, the, the invasion of southern Israel, that happened right at the end of Sukkot, the Jewish holiday. It happened, of course, on the last great day that we in God's church were observing just three weeks ago. 1,400 people slaughtered. All of these gunmen just waltzing their way through southern Israel, killing everyone in sight, killing every living being, animals, people, grandmas, children, infants even. And then you've got this guy in Maine. I mean, it's a completely different story in many respects. But he's hearing voices? And the voices are telling him to go kill people? And he's let out of the insane asylum? It's just unbelievable what we're seeing happen. These are, as the new speaker says, these are dark times. These are dark times for America. They're dark times for the world. You think of uh, 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, which talks about these last days being dangerous or, or perilous times. In the last days, perilous times shall come. This is from Fox News. It says a massive manhunt is underway in Maine after a mass shooting that spanned two locations Wednesday night, leaving 22 people dead. It says Maine Public Safety Commissioner Mike uh, Sasak. Uh, well, an unusual last name, said in a late, uh, late night news conference 
that law enforcement is not yet confirming an exact number of victims. Further on in the Daily Mail, it talks about how that this killer had all of these likes for conservative commentators. So you can, you can hear the narrative being established by the communist left, even as we speak. He's a radical. We need control on guns. You know, Tucker Carlson's the one that inspired this act. And on and on it will go. They'll be spinning the narrative into overdrive here in the coming, uh, coming moments, in the next few hours. Just like that we said after the rare moment of objectivity uh, at, at, the, at the actual event as it transpired, October 7, the attack on Israel, it didn't take for very long for the narrative to begin to be firmly established. The false narrative, or to use this, never let a, a crisis go to waste, right? Take advantage of this to grab the guns. It's really pretty alarming, particularly in Maine, that there wasn't someone that was carrying a gun to defend all of these victims. But he heard, vo he heard voices. The voices were telling him to go kill people, and he did. He did. Revelation 12, 9. Revelation 12 talks about Satan and his demons being cast down to this earth. And, and look at what they are doing. Look what they're inspiring. We're working on a, a video. Israel's 9-11. Hopefully we can post that uh, this weekend sometime at the Rumble channel. But it's, uh, I'm not quite all the way through it. It's an hour and ten minutes. Hard to watch. Hard to watch. It's just basically following Hamas as they work their way into Israel. As they carry out their their mayhem, their bloodshed, their horrific acts of violence. So much of it's being scrubbed from the internet already because the narrative, the narrative is that the Jews are the problem. We got to go after the Jews. So the worst of it, I mean, the IDF invites the reporters in and they can't even come in and record anything. Even the IDF knows this is so horrific. We'll just show it to you journalists so that you can at least hopefully go out and give some fair reporting. People need to see it. Maybe, maybe not children, but adults need to see. They need to see what man is carrying out on fellow man. The, the two great commandments that Jesus gave to us, love God, Put God above all else. Love God more than anyone or anything else in this world. And then the second great command, it's likened to the first one. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. You don't see a lot of that in this world, this present evil world. We talked about the three different epochs in time in uh, Principles of Living class this morning, the world that then was the, the pre-flood world that culminated in universal destruction because God looked at the evil and he said, this is out of control. It's out of control. Universal sin, it led to universal destruction. Now, I mean, the world post-flood, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1.4 he, he called it the present evil world. 
thank God there's a world to come. Hebrews 2 and verse 5 brings this out. The wonderful world tomorrow. But right now we're in the tail end. We're right at the tail end of this present evil world. Satan knows. He knows that his time is about up. He knows he only has but a short time left. And so he's inspiring these acts, these unspeakable acts of violence. It really is. Like Jesus said, I mean, it's, it's going to be just like it was in the days before the flood. Christ said that in Luke 17. And then you go back and you look at the pre-flood period. Genesis 6 spells it out. I mean, man's mind. It's just on evil and violence continually. Continually. There's no end of it. Look at Satan ramping up his hostility, his hatred, his violence. Even since we returned home from the Feast of Tabernacles, you, you really feel like we've reached a tipping point in, in some respects. I mean, with respect to Israel, how do you explain, as I said earlier this week, how do you explain the irrational hatred and violence aimed at Jews just because they're Jews? That's coming from the devil as we bring out in the Key of David booklet, as we touch on even in this one, America under attack. These are dark times. That's, that's coming from the new House Speaker. What a job that guy is stepping into. He got 220 votes. Nobody voted against him. And so, you know, the sky didn't fall. Three weeks of no house activity. It's like Matt Gates said in an interview. I've got the clip, but he said, look, we take six weeks of vacation every August. Nobody seems to complain about what's not getting done in the house. Three weeks? Three weeks of not spending money. I'd say that's a good thing for the United States. It was a pretty stunning turn. I mean, you go through Scalise, then Jordan, then... The other guy, the, the liberal guy, basically the rhino from, I think, Minnesota, Emmer. And then you arrive at, at this guy, the Mike Johnson. He's pretty conservative, pretty conservative. Donald Trump's pretty happy. You can tell how conservative he is just, just looking at the reaction coming from the regime media. He's extreme. He is, he is hard right, they say. Here's a sampling of how the media reacted uh, yesterday to the news of Mike Johnson becoming the new House Speaker, clip eight. In their tallies that the total number of votes cast is 429, of which the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana has re received 220 votes. Therefore, the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana, having received a majority of the votes cast, is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives for the 118th Congress. And that was my question to you, Jackie Alamany. What happened here? What changed when you had people like Ken Buck and others saying, I will not support somebody who is an election denier? Exactly. Full stop. Yeah. And then yesterday, he got the votes he needed. It was a really remarkable turn of events to see someone with perhaps the lowest name ID in in all of American history become speaker in a matter of 24, less than 24 hours, actual election denier as speaker of the House. Yeah, I mean, Charlie Sykes, just look at who celebrated the loudest yesterday. It was yeah. Donald Trump. It was Matt Gates. It was 
somehow they got uh, moderates, the New York moderates, who've been holding some of the power here. Mike Lawler, for example, they all got on board. He's Jim Jordan with a jacket and a better haircut, which is to say he has full-throatedly supported the effort to overturn the 2020 election. Uh, no question who the biggest winners are here. Um, Matt Gates um, may be loathed by his um, his colleagues, but he got his way. Right? Adam Kinzinger describes him, um, Mike Johnson, as Jim Jordan in drag. Um, so there's no question about it. I mean, this is a full MAGA. This is a full MAGA speaker. I mean, Mike Johnson uh, is a full-throated believer in Kraken-level conspiracy theories. He's due. And the fact that it was unanimous is also extraordinary. With you, I don't know uh, Mike Johnson well. Based on his track record, he clears, appears to be uh, an extreme right-wing ideologue. January 6th and 2020 looms so large over this building every single day and now you have someone in the presidential line of succession who helped with that rationale in a key way that... Uh, he's only been a four-term member of Congress. He doesn't have the leadership uh, experience that anyone who uh, also ran for the post has. So this is all sort of on-the-fly experimental governance. He's uh, second in line for the presidency uh, and people are Googling him right now to figure out what's going on. Uh, he has an ability to seem a lot more mainstream uh, than I think the, the, his, his ideology actually is. So as far as the speaker is concerned, he is a fantastic gentleman, and I think he's going to do a great job. Mike Johnson, Louisiana, is going to do a great job. So there you go. If the, uh, the bad orange man likes him, then that's everyone else's cue to uh, tell you how much they hate him. How much of an extremist he is. He's an insurrectionist. He was behind January 6th. He's an election denier. Say the election deniers. The ones that denied 2016. This is from the Washington Post. I'm not, I don't want to come across like I'm gloating here. It's, it's not going to change much of anything. It may be significant though, as I alluded to yesterday. When you think about Jeroboam coming back, this is in Amos 7. We talk about this in America Under Attack. And uh, and just the the movement in support of Jeroboam. There's no helper for the most part. You see what he's going up against. But this, I mean, this may be a signal that the tide is beginning to turn, that we're beginning to get a glimpse of what it might be like. Governance in D.C., in the swamp. Once Jeroboam returns, this is Washington Post, it says if, if you're feeling any sense of relief that Jim Jordan won't be the next House Speaker, stop and worry again. Stop and worry again. The sky is definitely falling this time. The Washington Post says Mike Johnson might be more dangerous than the firebrand Ohio Republican for Jordan's shirt, uh, shirt sleeves demeanor and wrestler's pugnacity. Substitute a bespectacled, low-key presentation, a law degree, and an unswerving commitment to conservative dogma and former President Donald Trump. He's a Trump supporter, so he's even worse. He's even worse. He's even more dangerous than Jim Jordan. Matt Gates was on at MSNBC, and here again, we applauded him three weeks ago. When he took a stand, really when he risked his career, he really did. They, they were entertaining the thought of expelling Gates from the conference. Everybody said it's chaotic. It's all falling apart because of Matt Gates. Because Matt Gates, he triggered that motion to vacate. 
got rid of McCarthy. He was on, by the way, yesterday, or maybe it was the other night, explaining how that it was McCarthy standing in the way of Steve Scalise, then Jim Jordan. It was McCarthy who was stonewalling. He was angling to try to get back in there. This is why the Republicans were so divided. Listen to Matt Gates from uh, yesterday, clip four. Do you have any idea whether Mike Johnson is worried that you guys will do this again? I mean, I said one and done because, yes, you could technically do it, but if you keep doing this, right, that's going to complicate a lot of your party's governing agenda. I do not want your viewers to get the impression that I want to govern by motion to vacate. This was something that we had to do because Kevin McCarthy had lied to us. You know, the one thing that... So it was a McCarthy thing for you? Well, it, uh, undeniably, if Kevin McCarthy had maintained his commitments to pursue single-subject spending bills, if he had released the January 6th tapes... If if he had called for the votes on a balanced budget amendment and term limits, as he had promised, then he would likely still be speaker today. It wasn't about the man so much as his unwillingness to adhere to the agreement that he had made. He lied, in other words, <laughs> over and again, he lied. Then, then Gates talks about, you know, being out of commission or out of work for three weeks. Here's what he said, clip five. Why is it bad when Kevin McCarthy partners with Democrats to keep the government open, but it's okay when you do it to actually shut down basically a functioning house for a few weeks? Well, we shut down for 22 days. Keep in mind, every year, Congress takes a six-week vacation. So we took about half the time of the normal vacation, and I actually think it was some of our more, and you, more productive And you couldn't have done it? I actually think it was, more, it was some of our more productive times, said Gates, before he was talked over. Yeah, look at what happened. We got someone who's in there fully supportive of Donald Trump. We'll see if it sets the tone in a little bit of a different way or if there's some side deals that happen behind the scenes. Gates insists that there, there weren't any of those. And so here comes Mike Johnson. This uh, Washington Post piece, it says, due in large part to those usurpations, the election of 2020 has been riddled with an unprecedented number of serious allegations of fraud and irregularities. National polls indicate a large percentage of Americans now have serious doubts about not just the outcome of the presidential contest, but also the future reliability of our election system itself. It continued as it as if the supposedly serious doubts had not been sowed by Trump himself. They're quoting from some right wing uh, decision or maybe it was a judicial ruling. Anyway, The Washington Post wants you to know that this is a terrifying moment for America because of a guy named Mike Johnson. This uh, this caught our attention earlier uh, today as well from MSNBC. They're, they're wondering why, how? I mean, how is it that people are still, still staying with Donald Trump? This is clip one. Every time the party's had a chance to turn against Donald Trump, it's turned toward Donald Trump, including the last time when they could have just voted uh, to convict a guy. To pick up on that point there, there have been so many off-ramps. You would think an attack on the United right. States Capitol, an attempted coup against the government would get people out. What about taking nuclear secrets back to Mar-a-Lago? Maybe that would give you a way out. He's not even in office anymore. You could walk away from him. So what is your sense of why Republicans never do? The fear that uh, many people feel about what's going on around them yeah. is understandable. If you talk to them at a grocery store, a gas station, if you talk to them, you understand their fear. It might be unreasonable, but it's there. The fear that politicians have for Donald Trump is something entirely different, though. 
everybody's afraid of Donald Trump in Washington. Well, in, in some respects that's true. Certainly the communist left, they are terrified. Terrified at the thought of a MAGA Republican heading up the House as Speaker, and of course terrified at the thought of Donald Trump returning to office. This week we've been talking about the world's reaction to all of those atrocities on October 7th and the video footage that you continue to turn up, as I said, we're putting a video together uh, ourselves. I talked yesterday on the show about how Israel's making the decision to delay its ground invasion, basically, basically because the United States is applying pressure, because Joe Obama doesn't want to see this happen, because Barack Hussein Obama, he wants to, uh, he wants to buy some time for Hamas and for the mullahs in Iran. We, uh, as I said, picked up on that theme yesterday. This is from the New York Post. Are Biden and Obama on Israel's side? Recent actions raise questions. That's like a Trumpet Magazine article. <laughs> Tomorrow's news today, if you haven't subscribed to this, there's the dear leader right there, running the show from the basement. And the, the Post headline, are Biden and Obama on Israel's side, are they? Or are they fighting against Israel? The phone number, if you want to subscribe to the Trumpet, that's 1-866-930-3024. This article says, with Barack Obama publicly warning Israel about the deaths of civilians in Gaza, the Biden White House leaking its doubts about Israel's ability to carry out a ground invasion, and the head of the United Nations suggesting Israel provoked the Hamas terror attack, the question arises, whose side are they on? Who do they want to win this war? Is it Israel? Is it America's long-standing ally in the Middle East? Or is it the terrorists? The terrorists that went in and slaughtered civilians. Is it true that leaders in the United States or the United Nations are actually for the terrorists? Well, that's true. As I say, you, you heard it here first. It says, less than three weeks after Israel suffered the deadliest day in its history, the Jewish state is being treated like the problem rather than the victim by some of its supported friends. Supposed friends, I should read. It says, instead of getting support for its justified aim of eradicating Hamas, demands are mounting for Israel to temper its response, lest it spark a wider war and mass casualties of Palestinian civilians. There's another one here at Unheard. Israel is trapped by Western guilt. What a time. I mean, these are dark times for Israelite nations. Dark times for Ephraim, Manasseh, and little Judah. God gives you, he gives you all the prophecies regarding our, our nations. Prophecies for this end time. It's all right here in the United States and Britain in prophecy. Herbert Armstrong's master text on Bible prophecy. Where do we fit in in the grand scheme of prophetic developments? We noticed this story the other day just because Celtic Throne performed 
at uh, George Washington University earlier this year, this summer, just a few months ago, not that far from the White House. This says here, this article, a group of students sparked outcry Tuesday night after they projected me uh, messages criticizing Israel, George Washington and, and University President Ellen Grenberg on uh, the sides of these buildings. It says university officials and two GW police department officers instructed four student demonstrators from Students for Justice in Palestine to stop projecting phrases protesting the Israel-Hamas war. They put these phrases on the buildings. In the siege on Gaza and GW, the blood of Palestine is on your hands. Some nice messages coming from students. Students at a university campus just down the street from the White House. This one here from the Wall Street Journal. Keep in mind, you had Kirby, you had Biden, the fake president. You had all of them out there saying, yeah, Iran traditionally does help support, fund, and train Hamas. But not this time. This time, I mean, there was just the detachment was so obvious. Obviously. Iran didn't have anything to do with October 7. No, no. This is from the Wall Street Journal. It says, in the weeks leading up to Hamas's October 7 attacks on Israel, hundreds of Palestinian Islamist militant groups, fight, milit, militant groups fighters received specialized combat training in Iran, according to people familiar with intelligence related to the assault. They went to Iran to receive their training. And you watch some of our documentary, Israel's 9-11, and you see just how planned and coordinated this attack was. I mean, they, they got on their motorcycles, they had their machine guns, they pierced the, the border security fence, they took out the cameras, they surrounded the dancers at the music festival, they shot, they shot and killed anyone that drove by in those southern towns, and then of course they went into the towns themselves door to door to kill children and women trained in Iran. Can you believe this? Trained by the mullahs. Trained by the number one state sponsor of terrorism. And yet again, completely unscathed. Iran's never punished. I've talked about how Hamas hasn't even been punished. Now the ground invasion is put off. But think about Iran, never punished, never held to account, never held responsible. Just continuing to sponsor these kinds of atrocities. And the world yawns. And if they don't yawn, they condemn Israel at the UN or at the White House. Or at the very least, they twist Israel's arm into submission. You better hold off. You better hold off. Otherwise, this could escalate. Escalate? Who escalated it? Seriously, who escalated this? It says Hamas attackers used aerial drones to disable Israeli observation posts and high-tech surveillance equipment. Some used paragliders to fly into Israel. Others rode in on motorcycles, commonly used by Iranian paramilitary groups, but not by Hamas until... October 7. Say, hey, come on over to Iran. We'll, 
We'll teach you about all of our terrorist tactics. Oh, yeah. It says here, U.S. officials said Iran has regularly trained militants in Iran and elsewhere, but they have no indications of a mass training right before the attack. Still, still, you see, we don't know for sure. Not for sure. What about this other story here blowing up the myth that you've got the tiny, tiny sliver of Hamas terrorists and then the, the poor Palestinian people that hate Hamas. They want to get rid of Hamas. Is that true? They vote them in by a large majority. It's from the Federalist. It says throngs. Throngs of Gazan civilians cheered the ghoulish sight of Hamas parading the bloodied bodies of dead Jews through the streets. That happened just three weeks ago. It says at least 10 times since October 7, President Biden has stated that the Muslim Arab terrorist group Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people or variations such as the vast majority of Palestinians are not Hamas. And Hamas does not represent the legitimate aspirations of the Palestinian people. It says top Biden administration officials have repeated the same phrases. But the Biden administration's repeated statement isn't true. In fact, Hamas overwhelmingly represents the Palestinian people. People don't want to say it. They don't want to admit this. They keep lying. It says here, first, the Palestinians elected Hamas. Hamas's change and reform party in 2006, the most recent legislative election, giving Hamas an overwhelming 74 seats. The Palestinian authorities, Fatah, only won 45 seats. We're supposed to view Fatah as the moderate version or the moderate party for the Palestinians. 45 seats compared to 74 for Hamas? It says, PA dictator Mahmoud Abbas has not held elections for the past 17 years to avoid losing again to Hamas. 17 years, this dictator who takes in billions from all these Western nations. 17 years, he's basically suspended elections. I don't want to get voted out by Hamas. They're so popular. That's the way Abbas thinks. But not, not the, the elite minds in the West. No, no, they say, they believe. I mean, they believe. The Palestinian people, if they had their chance, if they had an opportunity, they would vote Hamas out right away. No, that's not the truth. Those are lies. That's propaganda. It says here, Hamas terror attacks on Israelis increase Palestinian support for Hamas. For example, Palestinian support for Hamas increased dramatically after Hamas launched 4,500 rockets in May of 2021. They launched the rockets and then the people say, hooray, let's kill some Jews. It says here, Gazan civilians actively participated in aided, abetted, and celebrated the October 7 uh, massacre. Ordinary Gazan civilians, workers in Israel, thousands of whom were allowed into Israel due to the Biden administration's pressure, collected detailed intelligence on every home 
and citizen in southern Israeli towns and drew maps for Hamas to easily locate Jewish nurseries and families to murder and kidnap. This operation was in motion long before October 7. You had workers from Gaza going into Israel, and they were basically casing the place. They were scouts going in in advance. Here's the nurseries. Here's the schools. Here's how you get into the kibbutz. Here's the music festival location. It's just right across the border. It's going to be so easy. As long as we come in with machine guns. Think about how many Jews we can murder. It says here, then, after the first wave of Hamas terrorists slaughtered more than 1,400 Jews, huge waves of ordinary Gazan civilians, armed with knives and screaming, Aloha Akbar, flooded into southern Israel and joined in the Hamas massacres and kidnappings. It says mobs of Gazan civilians killed and gang-raped innocent Jews, chopped off innocent Jews' heads, took hostages, entered and burned down uh, uh, massacred Jews' homes and ransacked and looted everything in sight. It says here, if Hamas really didn't represent the Palestinian people, there would have been at least some uprising against Hamas, right? Wouldn't there be some kind of uprising? Wouldn't there be some kind of outcry? Captured by BBC or CNN? Citizens, just ordinary citizens, out, absolutely outraged that their leadership, they gave them 74 seats in the parliament, 45 to Fatah, but 74 to Hamas. Where was the outrage following October 7? You didn't see it, did you? It says, no one in Gaza or the Palestinian Authority rose up or spoke out against Hamas's atrocities. No one showed an ounce of humanity toward the slaughtered Jewish families and babies. The thing of it is, I mean, you don't even really see an ounce of humanity or sympathy coming from students at George Washington University or on the streets of London or New York City, Los Angeles. No, in fact, they, they're taking to the streets, tens of thousands of them, to show their enthusiastic support for the party the Palestinians voted into power in 2006. How about that? You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach us, td at thetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. One third of your Bible is prophecy, and 90% of it is for our time today. This is why when you study Bible prophecy, you often read statements like, in that day, in the last days, and at the time of the end. Biblical prophecy is what makes the Bible so relevant to today, so essential to understanding our modern world. Most people, even in the world of religion, Assume that nations like Britain, America, Germany, Russia, and China are not mentioned in Bible prophecy. But if prophecy is mainly for our time today, how could the Bible ignore some of the most powerful and prominent nations of today? 
The key to understanding prophecy is knowing the biblical identities of modern nations. Learn about these identities in Herbert W. Armstrong's book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. In this book, you will learn about the astonishing identity of the American and British people in biblical prophecies. Request your free copy today, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. Yesterday on the show, we talked a little bit about diligence, bringing diligence into your, your prayer life in particular, really showing God that you're, you're into it. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, as it says over in James chapter 5. You look through the, the book of Proverbs and you see just how over and again, God really does draw attention to this quality of character that is diligence or drive or maybe determination or just putting your whole heart, being wholehearted. God drew attention to Joshua following Moses' leadership just basically because Joshua was so wholehearted in his support for Moses, for God's plan, God's purpose. Proverbs 12 here in verse 24, it says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. It's the diligent who rule. I mean, this is the way, <laughs> this is the way it, it is in a righteous society. Today, of course, you see a lot, of, a lot of rulers that are very corrupt, as we point out in segment one of this, this program so often. But still, if you, if you live God's way, and if you're diligent in obeying the laws of God and in pursuing your relationship with God, you will be blessed. Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. God says, choose life. God says, choose blessings. Proverbs 13 and verse 4, it says, The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The, the soul of the diligent, there's always going to be, there's always going to be a satisfied, contented way about that individual because he's worked hard, even to the point, like Ecclesiastes says, when you <laughs> lay down your head on the pillow and you enjoy deep sleep, sweet sleep, as the Bible says, because you've worked, even if you look at the Sabbath command. We touched on this the other day as well. It says there, within that command, I mean, yes, remember the Sabbath day, keep or preserve it, keep it holy. But together with that, it says, six days shall you labor. Six days work. Six days work with diligence. Work hard. I mean, this is one of the evidences of a, of a true Christian a good work ethic. See you a man that's diligent in his business. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. It says, He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. That's, that's comforting. <laughs> we can stand not before mean men, but before kings. Because we've been diligent in our business. I love this one in Proverbs 27. Verse 23 says, Be you diligent 
to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds. Think about King David as a, as a righteous shepherd, the diligence that he showed in looking after his flocks, looking after the sheep. Jesus, of course, says that we, if we're good shepherds, we want to go after the stray sheep. We want to leave the 99 and go after the one just to bring, bring them back into the fold. This is the way Christ is as our shepherd. This is the way God wants for us to be. I've been emphasizing to our students just how valuable they are as a resource for God's church, for the work that God's church is engaged in. Just how important it is for them to pour their hearts into the work, to grow in character, godly character, and to also develop special aptitudes and, and abilities so that they can help do the work. We often, you know, when we take someone on to, to work at headquarters here or any of our regional offices, we're evaluating people based on character and competence. You know, what can they offer? What can they bring to the table? Character, of course, is most important. But you, you also need competence. I mean, you need to be skilled. You need to be educated. You need to bring something that, like I say to the students, it's a valuable resource for the work. We don't have all of these, you know, billionaire donors supporting the work of God. What we have, it's just a little flock. It's just a small group of people who are very committed to finishing the work. Diligent. We're not perfect. We're certainly not. We have flaws. We certainly do have flaws. But we're applying, we're working to apply those seven laws of success. And one of them has to do with driving yourself energetically, driving yourself forward energetically with diligence, with determination to serve in the work of God. James 5.16, I mentioned this a moment ago, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In the, the Amplified Bible, it says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. I mean, we have access to tremendous power. We, there is tremendous power available if we go to God, he's the source from above. It's so easy to just rely upon or to depend upon ourselves, maybe our own experience, maybe human reasoning, or maybe some guy next to us. God says, look, break through to my heavenly throne, my, my throne room. Come forward with that effectual fervent prayer in the How to Pray booklet. If you don't have a copy of that, by the way, that's essential reading because it has to do with your most important relationship. That is your relationship with God. How to pray. How to communicate with God. That's what the book is about. The 800 number, if you want to order it, 866-930-3024. In How to Pray, it says, Fervency means more than persistence. It includes feeling and expression, extreme vigor and ardor, being in a state of intense mental or physical strain, emotion, or activity. It says, when you pray, really pour out your heart 
before the throne of grace, be filled with zeal, motivated with spiritual energy and alertness. Be motivated. Show God that you're alert. Show God that that relationship means the most to you. Show God that you have the energy to really put your heart into it. Notice what it says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. This is the faith chapter. And it's talking about what it takes to be rewarded by God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, you know this verse, no doubt. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God rewards those who are diligent seekers. They are diligently seeking after him. My father said uh, some years ago, the rapid growth in the power of this work depends more upon your prayers and your closeness to God and to Christ our Savior than on anything else. How important is it to break through to God, to go to God in prayer, in fervent prayer? Well, this is what moves the work of God forward. And God says, if you show some fervency, if you show some diligence when, when uh, it comes to this relationship, then he will reward you. He will reward you. This is from uh, Biblical Manhood, another book that's essential reading for, for men in particular. It says, if you are not seeking God diligently, you need to start. If you think it's too hard, evaluate your life and start cutting out whatever is getting in your way. Don't let this world's distractions pull you off course. You don't need that stuff. It's all dust. Take radical action. Flee those things and pursue the things of God. This takes dynamic, purposeful, driving work. And he goes on to make the point about you know, procrastinating or putting off things today that we should be pursuing. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. The proverb says, the lazy man has longings but, but gets nothing. The diligent man is amply supplied. That's from Pro Proverbs uh, 13, verse, verse 4. Notice 1 Timothy 5 now. 1 Timothy 5. If you, if you look at the history of God's church in these last days or this last century, Herbert Armstrong's work, this incredible worldwide work that that, that began back in the 1930s, I mean, almost 100 years ago. And Mr. Armstrong, I mean, he drove himself. That was a man who was diligent in his business, and he stood before kings in the end. But if you read through a lot of his co-worker letters, I mean, over and again, he was just pleading with the people of God, with plain truth readers, with the, those that supported uh, God's work with a financial offering here and there. He was pleading with them to just show more fervency, to show more diligence, to show more fire. He was pleading with God's people to, to burn with zeal for doing God's work. It's just so easy to let up, to be complacent, to coast a little bit. We can't coast when it comes to finishing God's work. This is 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. It says, but if any, if any provide not for his own, 
and especially for those of his own house. He has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. He's worse than an unbeliever. If you don't bring a spirit of, of providing for others, and you can apply this, obviously you can apply this principle far beyond the physical household, a father, let's say, that's there to provide for his household. But what about the spiritual application of this law, this principle? If we don't provide, if we don't have something to offer, if we don't have something to give, what are we doing? What are we doing? God says you're, you're worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than someone who's not even in the family of God, that doesn't even know the truth of God. Because you're not carrying out your mission, your mission in life, which is to provide, to give to your children, to your family, to God's family. 2 Thessalonians 3, this is verse 10, it says, For even, even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. These are strong admonitions, really. <laughs> think, about, think about what Paul is saying. If, if you're not working, well, then you shouldn't eat. You don't see that, that thinking. That thinking is not coming out from the swamp of Washington, D.C. There are handouts galore. There are people, leaders, that are actively working to take your tax dollars and to give it to somebody else who's not even really contributing to society. Happens all the time. This is what, this is what causes the spread of socialism. Yeah, get those free handouts. Don't really work much at all. Just put your trust, your dependence upon the government. And teaches laziness, doesn't it? And then society begins to unravel. There's other reasons for this, of course. But our lazy and complacent ways, that, that's not exactly helping the problem. Look at, what, look at what God said about Israel. I think it's in Deuteronomy 8. Where they got in, they, they got all of these blessings from the promised land, and then they became, you know, basically fat, thick, you know, in other words, numb in the head. Verse 11 here, it says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. They're not working. Uh, we've heard from some sources, Paul says, that some of you are, are busybodies. You're not, you're not carrying your weight. <laughs> you're not contributing. So we're here to tell you that that's, uh, that's got to change. At least it does if, if you want to stay in the church of God, if you want to stay in God's family. Verse 12, it says, Now them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Here is a command. Here is a strong exhortation. You know, let's zip the lips and start working with quietness, with quietness, work. In other words, stop running your mouth and run to the task that's in front of us. Roll up your sleeves and really contribute something to this great work that God has given us to do. Mr. Armstrong, in his booklet, Seven Laws of Success, if you don't have a copy of that as well, I mean, 
Make sure you call our operators today. What have we plugged? The U.S. and Britain in prophecy, how to pray, biblical manhood. Then this one, the seven laws of success. The website is thetrumpet.com. The 800 number, it's 1-866-930-3024. In the seven laws of success, Mr. Armstrong says, as I once said before, most people have no aim. They are merely the victims of circumstance. They never planned purposefully to be in the job or occupation in which they find themselves today. They do not live where they do, by choice, that is, because they planned it that way. They have merely been buffeted around by circumstance. They've allowed themselves to drift. They've made no effort to master and control circumstances. They're victims of circumstance. They're, like Ephesians 4 says, I don't have time to read through it, but they're just tossed to and fro. They just kind of go through life drifting. Why not lead a purposeful existence? Why not choose life, choose blessings, choose to go the more excellent way that is God's way of life? Choose to throw your whole heart into God's work, into this end of the end time work. As I say, you can get to all of our material. It's free, it's offered without cost or obligation. It's at our website, thetrumpet.com, and then the 800, 800 number I gave you that earlier. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show with some feedback, we'd love to hear from you, trumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.